Welcome to Street Success. Today we're going to go with questions and answers again that Michael got from a lot of his friends and people he knows. So let's get to it, Michael. Well, Dad, where is real estate going in general? Is there going to be a collapse? That's a good question. Um, I think as Bob Dylan said, the answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. There are just too many variables that are unknown at this time. And um, the problem is that each individual person to make a decision is going to have to look at these variables and determine what the outcome will be. There are just too many variables. I'll say it again and again and again. Um, and everything that people talk about now is an opinion. Even what I'm saying is an opinion. For example, will interest rates be going up? That's something everybody has to decide. You know, a lot of people right now say no. But if they do, that's going to be a problem in three to five years when mortgages become due. Will the pandemic stabilize or will, be, will it get worse? Hopefully it'll be a bad memory. But if it doesn't, it's going to be a problem for real estate. So we just don't know. Will the dollar remain strong? Going to have an effect on if the foreigners come into the uh, come into the country, which is also affected by the pandemic. Now here's a real key: Will the federal income taxes change? Now that is a biggie, because as you know, real estate has enjoyed some of the best tax benefits in any industry I can even imagine. And Biden president is looking to get rid of a lot of those uh, benefits. And 1031 exchanges drive prices of property. Um, other factors like our steroid depreciation that we've always talked about, you and I, where we've gotten so much accelerated depreciation that real estate people aren't really paying taxes, which I think is kind of unfair. Um, that might have to change. There's just so many different factors, and here's the main one of all of this, if you had to pick one, the political climate. Absolutely. And the political climate is destroyed, for instance, New York. It is, you know, there is a progressive movement across the country for, for rent control uh, and other factors that are just destroying real estate. And look, my opinion on this is that Real estate is always in trouble when the political situation is uneasy. But one thing you've probably heard the last year or so is what they're going to do at the federal level. They're going to get rid of 1031 exchanges. They're going to get rid of the stepped-up basis, all these other th other things. Mm -hmm. But what usually happens is nothing. They well, usually well, – hold on. Let me just explain this. Usually they – every, I would say, four eight – usually it's a Democratic administration that will do this. They'll say, we're going to get rid of this, this, this. The real estate industry gets away with too much. But what happens is most members of Congress happen to be real estate owners or real estate investors. So nothing ever happens. But I will say this. What happens at the state and local level does matter because it was two years ago in 2019 the Democrats in New York state flipped the state legislature from Republican to Democrat. And what happened? They passed very, very strict rent laws, limiting things like major, how much you can charge for major capital improvements, individual apartment improvements. Also zoning, zoning in New York city, you know, this dad, 
they could limit what you can do. And there's that unwritten rule in the New York City Council. If one member doesn't want to go through with a development, they all vote no. I mean, where, do you, where are you on this? Well, I think uh, federally, I think you're a little off base on that. There has been massive changes by the federal government. What in, are they? The tax laws. Well, they gave us accelerated depreciation and what I call steroid depreciation. They've revamped the tax laws. If you go back to 1986, they've constantly changed them. Pro real estate, against real estate, pro business, against uh, business. Biden right now wants to really drastically change it. Wants to get rid of 1031 exchange. Wants to get rid of the stepped up basis. He wants to raise the rate on income tax to almost the ordinary rate. And that's going to hurt the stock market. It's going to hurt real estate. It's going to hurt everything. Now, he might not get everything he wants, but he's surely going to get some of the things he wants. And we use a pretty big firm, you know, accounting firm. And I have friends in big accounting firms. And when you talk to them, I almost feel sorry for them. They don't know themselves. They don't know how to advise their clients. If Biden makes a change, is it going to be retroactive to 2021? They're just, again, blowing in the wind. But those are the things, when you ask me what's going to happen to real estate, where are we, where are we going, the answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. Well, I'll add this. There has been, you're talking about the federal level stuff that's hurt real estate. That's what mm -hmm. you're saying. But I would say in the past, there's been stuff done maybe at the federal and state level that has helped real estate, like vacancy decontrol. Absolutely. But that, that was 30 years ago. Okay. But you're saying at the federal level, they've hurt, they've done stuff. Yes. But they've also helped real estate industry. I'm not saying no. And go, I'm saying, but where do we stand? Is this, is everything going to continue well, or I've, not? I have another one for you. Since we're on real estate and politics here, I remember it was what, a month ago on election day right. in one of uh, the twin cities in Minnesota, uh, St. Paul, they uh, had a referendum and voted to um, have rent control on, ev on, um, they had rent control on, what was it, uh, everything, new construction and old construction. So if I'm a real estate developer, I'm not investing. As a matter of fact, I think there were like 10 projects already when that referendum passed that stopped because of the develop because that new law on new development. Well, you're absolutely right. But you also should add to it that I think a day before, they just missed. Same, no, the same day. Same day. They just missed voting on not to defund the police, to get rid of the police. That was in the uh, Minneapolis, Minneapolis uh, okay, okay, well, the city same, over here. Same state, right? Yes. Oh, God. These, the progressives, unfortunately, shoot first, ask questions later. There's a cry out in Minnesota. We need more rental housing, affordable rental housing. But what did they do? They shot themselves in the foot. So you go to the developer, he wants to build a nice affordable housing project. His construction costs have almost doubled right now because, yeah. of, because of what's going on, uh, you know, with people inflation not, go work, not going inflation, to work, inflation, yeah. et cetera, and a shortage of materials because of the pandemic and other factors. It, it's, it, it's chaos. Insurance has doubled. Your insurance costs have doubled for even less coverage. You know... <laughs> Real estate taxes are going up significantly because the districts need money. So you're going to have uh, uh, sign a $40 million, $50 million construction loan personally, have all your operating expenses go up, and they're going to say, we're going to limit you to 3% a year. Does that make any sense? No. But I, and this is, goes to a bigger question. You're 100% right. I understand what you're saying. But you brought up affordable housing. Right. And how all these urban areas and cities want it. 
what is the key? How do you get affordable housing? How do you solve this crisis where cities don't have affordable housing? Two great re uh, uh, solutions. Okay. Number one, the districts or the gov local governments own a lot of unused real estate that's not producing, not doing anything. Put those in the inventory. Take them out of your unused inventory and start making them, you know, easy to use. Use okay? that land for housing. Yeah. But and, uh, it can't be run by the government because you look at something like NYCHA. NYCHA uh, has the worst public housing ever. I wouldn't let the government run a supermarket, okay? I'm just saying, though, you would give it yeah, to private developers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, that's another topic. But the point is here, if you want, everyone's crying for affordable housing. Well, you have retail circling the drain, office building circling the drain. Now, these big box stores, okay, you can't even get financing for a big box store. Banks don't want to go near it unless it's super credit. So if you have a Best Buy that went out of business, it's 50 to 100,000 square foot store, one story. You know, everyone says we need housing, but NEMBY, not in my backyard. Well, where these uh, industrial or um, commercial uh, big box stores are located, not usually in residential areas, and they're gonna be eyesores. Amazon just can't buy up everything. Get those rezoned. The big box store that's vacant, you're going to lose fifty dollars to $100,000 in real estate tax, right? So make it three-story, four-story, rezone it to affordable housing. You're, you're solving a problem of affordable housing, and you're increasing your base for increased sales taxes, income taxes, and real estate taxes. Why is it a problem? I want to see somebody tell me why, why that isn't done. So there are just two things. Unfortunately, uh, our leaders are more interested in getting votes. And if you tell everyone, I'm going to give you free tuition, free this, free that, you're going to get votes. But it's not really in the best interest because, uh, truthfully, you talked about the referendum. Referendum. A lot of the people that voted for that, unfortunately, are your average person, working person, who listen to their leaders, but they don't really even understand what they're voting for. I think yeah, you're, I think that's probably right. A lot of them heard housing control or rent control, so they think yes, I want that. I don't want my rent to go up, but they don't know the extent of it. That first of all, they limit it on new construction, which is going to be a, anyone who studies like real estate knows that's going to be a disaster because no one's going to invest in your city. We built a 21-story building. You know how much heartache we went through with construction costs going up, with not knowing. Sometimes the market bails you out, and you're going to cap what that what, what I can make. I mean, I'm sorry, that just doesn't make sense. Now, I'm not going to be on the record to say I agree with a lot of the progressive uh, views. I don't agree in how they want to implement it. It's not going to work. That's my issue. Now, let's talk about retail and office. Let's do it. Okay. In my opinion, as I've said many times, it's going to be Armageddon. You don't, let's look at retail. Uh, there was a pandemic. So when it happened, I think it was March, people, it was chaos, people just stopped paying rent. You were there with me. You saw the phone calls, okay? They weren't nice all the time. And they just stopped paying rent. We didn't get any money. There was no PP money at the time for three to six months. Well, I'm the landlord, what did I do now? I still had to pay my debt service, the operating expenses, and the tenants weren't paying, and I couldn't evict them. There's still a moratorium two years later 
on, on tenants. Now, look at human nature. You're a tenant. Ha ha, you can't throw me out. If you're not an honorable guy, which not everybody is, I'm not going to pay your rent. You can't do anything about it. Now, we had good tenants, and you've seen me make deals with them to help them. But take a small pizza store. And over the pandemic, they might owe $60,000, $70,000 in back rent. We're never going to get that money. You can't tell a pizza store, a small pizza store, you got to pay $60,000. So eventually you're going to have to forgive that. Then take the fact that during the pandemic, you had to pay the operating expenses out of your pockets. You had to loan money to the property. And then you called your bank and you said, bank, help, I can't do any, I can't pay. And the bank said, okay, we understand. We're going to give you a three-month or a six-month deferral for debt service, either interest in principal or just interest. But that wasn't a gift. That has to be paid back, too. So during the pandemic, the tenants who were suffering, but they're going to have to pay back a lot of that rent, most of them. I am now, as an owner, a small shopping center might have hundreds of thousands of dollars of loans that I might not get back. And the loans, you know, and the deferrals to the bank, which are going to be due at some point. So the worst thing that happened, though, and again, you were privy to this, is tenants calling me with brokers. Hi, we represent the, the pizza store, and we want to renegotiate our lease, or we're going out of business. And, you know, empty units don't make you money. So a lot of times... The rent that was $35 was renegotiated down to $30 or $25 a foot. Now, that is the biggest problem because now the NOI decrease, which in turn decreases your property value as cap rates are going up. So the landlord is now left, or you know, the retail property owner is left with owning hundreds of thousands of dollars and the value of his property probably isn't even worth the mortgage. So in my opinion, there's going to be massive foreclosures on the retail side. And I think there's going to be a big, big opportunity to pick up these properties at bargain basement prices. Because maybe at $25 a foot instead of $40 a foot, or in Manhattan, $100 a foot instead of $200 a foot, the restaurants, et cetera, might be able to make it. We'll see. Now you go down to office buildings. Big key, you don't have to live in a city to do to work in a city. Wednesdays, Michael, we have what, five, six people in different states on Zoom? Yep. We haven't missed a beat. You drove into Manhattan with me for two and a half hours, going crazy with uh, traffic. I'll do anything not to be in traffic. Anything. Okay. Well, we go to an airport. You got to go Even through, worse with you. Yeah, you got to go through <laughs> the nasty TSA people. And, and with get, you, I have to go through the yeah, airport, right. too. You know, or go, or, or go on a dirty train that's delayed in like the cold. Trains. When you just get on a Zoom and do yes. all the work you want. So technology, and technology is only getting better. Yes. So there's negatives to it. But as far as for business, I can't see office buildings, especially in Manhattan, the occupancy ever being more than 50 to 65%. Now, do you know what the occupancy rate I last look was October was? No, what was it? What do you think? 60%. Less than 30%. Wow. And six months before that, it was 20%. So people are not really going back to work. I don't think it's ever going to happen again. And again, 
an office building. He's had for the last couple of years the same thing, people not paying rent or deferred rent he might not get back. If you're a tenant, you're a law firm, you have 30,000 square feet, you have two years remaining on your lease or your option is up, hello, landlord, we got to talk. I don't want, I don't need 30,000 square feet. I only need 15. And I'm not paying $100 a foot. I only want to pay $65 a foot because there's a glut of other office space available that's even better for $65 a foot. And the office owner is going to say, okay, nothing I can do. Value of his building goes down, but he's also going to have to have downtime for three to six months to get a new tenant, pay a broker's fee, TI, which is very expensive, tenant improvement money, free rent periods, okay, lower rents, Tenant's not going to want to sign personal guarantees, which decreases the credit worthiness of the property. Armageddon. Earth, earth, moon, and the stars. You have to they want the earth, moon, and the stars in exchange for their tenancy. They look at it as an asset. What are you going to do for me? So if I'm right, and I hope I'm not, but if I'm right, there's going to be so many foreclosures because you just can't pay your bills at 65% or below um, occupancy. Excuse me, leasing. About residential, though. Ooh, residential, different market. Now, residential is extremely strong. Uh, right now, there's a shortage of rental housing across the United States, especially affordable rental housing. Um, the, you can get tremendous financing. Michael, we just got 2 2.5%, 10 years interest only on our resident, one of our residential properties. And we've, re we've done it on other ones also. Do you know what that does to my cash flow? What does it do? Well, it saved me during the pandemic, okay? <laughs> if you're not paying principal payments, it's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of more cash flow for my investors and us. But for Just us. Just because of the financing. <laughs> you don't, you want to buy an office building or a retail, there's almost hardly any good financing available. They're going to want major uh, um, cash up front, lower leverage. They're going to want reserves for debt service, reserves for releasing, reserves for repairs. It's going to kill your cash flow. So, yes, I see Armageddon. And again, with office buildings, I don't like office buildings so much. My background was in office buildings because of all the TI you got to give. But I don't see that those two sectors as being viable. I see massive foreclosures and opportunities to buy these properties at bargain basement prices. Now, changing gears, mm -hmm. I want to talk about creating wealth. So my first question is, what are the fundamentals to creating wealth? Okay. So this is a topic that I just keep pounding and pounding and pounding into people, okay? And I want this, to, this concept to crazy glue to your brain, okay? Wealth is, is achieved by owning a large asset base that increases annually and exponentially over time, okay? I'll say it again. Wealth is created by owning a large asset base, such as real estate, that increases annually and over time. That is the secret to wealth, building wealth. Now, there's two or three other factors. The other factor is your cash flow that you're going to get, and sheltering that cash flow so you don't you don't pay taxes by this depreciation or steroid depreciation. And the other uh, thing to do is 
never sell the property. Save it for the next generation. Now, I'm not saying you're going to have to do that, but if you look at the Kennedys, if you look at the Rockefellers, they never sold these properties. It went to the next generation. It was never taxed, which is what, some, what Biden wants to get rid of, but I don't know if that's going to happen. But the tax benefits are tremendous. Now, let's talk about what I call, and other people have called, the wrong type of income and the right type of income. You make $2 million working for a large bank. You're an executive. You make $2 million a year. Half of that goes to, your, to, your, um, to the government, right? But you own $2 million worth of real estate. No money goes to the government, right? Okay. Your job, there's no asset base, right? You're not building wealth. So for your $2 million, you're left with $1 million in five years, right? So five years, if you, if you had no expenses, you basically your take home was $5 million, right? Right. Minus all your expenses. Depending on you have you live, you don't have much. That's not building wealth. Now take a look at the other side, the right kind of income. $2 million, you kept all of it or deferred the taxes. Times five is what? How much? You're the math guy, not me. Don't look at me. You don't know two, two times five? What is it? Two the times five? Is money ten? I spent in college. <laughs> $10 million. Okay. Plus all the appreciation from the big asset base. So if I can achieve just $10 million worth of real estate, and it only increases 3% a year, which is nothing, okay? You know, that, that's 3% a year is not what the pros do. You know, that's someone who buys a building, does Zippo to improve it, and just the, the money, you know, the market goes up, which is what has been happening for the uh, last couple of years, at least. Now you look at it as let's say it increases the ten million increases three percent a year three hundred thousand just in just in appreciation times five that's a million and a half dollars at the end of five years right plus the sheltered two million dollars for five years and I will guarantee you you know we've increased uh, the value of the buildings twenty thirty percent a year because there are a lot of things you can do to increase the net operating income, and in return, the property value. That's how you achieve wealth. Now, what would, have you done, what would have you done differently if you could start the journey again in real estate? Uh, on a personal level? Yes. Um, I guess I would have started earlier in terms of my education. I wouldn't have wasted all the years in school not paying attention because of my problems with my dysfunctional family and other things. Uh, when I look back, there was just a lot of wasted time uh, that I look back and say, boy, did I waste a lot of time. So, you know, a lot of times now I look at things instead of getting excited and running out to play ball when I was younger and I would have paid more attention. That's why I can't spell, okay? I always ask you to thank off a spell check. So that has hindered me. I wish that I could have started early with my education, have read more, because, you know, I now, and for the last 30 years of my career, have read everything. I went from not reading at all to becoming a bookworm in real estate. I read everything. I read contracts, Michael, 
I read leases until I knew them as well as the lawyer. I wrote my own leases. I never wanted to rely on other people. And you see me on the phone when I talk to lawyers and I talk to uh, accountants. I'm able to speak their language. I'm able to find mistakes. I say, well, wait a minute. Did you think about that? And they're like, how does this guy know this? I read everything. And that's what I tell young people. Read everything. Once I read a lease, maybe it's scary at first, but all leases are going to be the same. It's the same boilerplate with a writer. And if you know one or two, you're going to know them all. So put the time in to master the fundamentals of a lease, let's say, or a contract, or an uh, LOI, letter of uh, uh, intent. Well, as far as buying buildings, yeah, I can honestly say, because we didn't have any money at the time, I couldn't have done more than I did with the assets I did. And we were pretty, we did pretty well. But in retrospect, you know, I bought buildings in 1993 for 575,000 that are worth 15. And we, yes, we bought a lot of them, but yeah, I wish I could have bought more. I just didn't have the infrastructure. Now, since you brought up leases, do you think owners now are going to have to give more flexibility in their leases to secure tenants? Oh, absolutely. We just talked about that. It is a tenant's market. They want the earth, the moon, and the stars. And you're going to have to give it to them. Because what's your alternative? Vacant space? Huh. So it's a catch-22. If I give, not only in commercial leases, you know, a lot of commercial and retail leases are structured where there is an um, extension based on fair market value of comparable properties in the area. So if you have a shopping center or an office building and you reduce one person's rent from 100 to 65, that becomes a comparable if someone finds out, and they will find out. So now, when you another tenant exercises their option, they're going to say, hey, wait a minute, that guy got $65, he got this, he got this, he got this. And that is going to be a real problem. So it's a catch-22. What I do for one tenant, I'm going to have to do for all, and that's why I think Armageddon is on the way. Now, how should investors position themselves for the next downturn? Uh, experienced or inexperienced? Either one. You tell me. But, but okay. One. Well, let's do inexperienced or younger people. Perfect time to learn, learn, learn. Read, read, read. Even at my level, I read all the time. A lot of things. The, the Minneapolis uh, uh, situation with rent control, I wouldn't have known about it if you didn't tell me. You know, you go on these internet sites, you find so many interesting things that I would not know. People have to read. Young people right now have to master the fundamentals and learn. Learn why this is going to be a good opportunity. And position yourself so that when the opportunity presents itself, you're prepared. Now, with this new variant, how is it going to affect things like student housing? That's a really good question. Okay, Finally. And that hits home with me. Because we own three student housing projects. Um, one of them, you know, is three blocks away from the University of Texas. Another one is great locations, great everything. So last year at this time, we were, on uh, one of them, less than 30% pre-leased for the following semester. At this time, we're 82%, a little over 82%, which is amazing to me. 
and at higher ends. I never thought that would, was, would be possible. But right now it's the holidays, so it's hard to tell. But for the next two months, the jury is still out because the variant, what happens if there's remote learning again? If the schools, Cornell just canceled classes, right? What happens if they cancel classes again? My, my pre-leasing stops. Last year, pre-leasing, which usually starts November on through August, it halted until the last three months. And then we were leasing like crazy, and we were still 100% at lower prices, though. This year, it's starting off 82%, which is great. We'll be, we should be um, fully leased by January or February. But if there's, God forbid, a pandemic that gets worse, we don't know what's going to happen. Now, if, God forbid, it gets worse, how's that going to affect me? Well, if I can't get rent from people because I'm only 50% pre-leased, I'm going to have to come out of my pocket and fund the operating expenses, which are a lot higher than in a retail uh, shopping center. Okay, So now I got to loan money without getting money in. And remember, if people aren't pre-leasing, I'm never going to get that money. It's not like it's rent that's owed. People just said, no, I'm not coming to your store, okay? So it can be horrible. If you have to decrease rents, affects net operating income, affects property value. But so far this year, it has been a boom year for our student housing, and I hope it continues. Now, what is the hardest part of acquiring real estate? Well, everyone used to say the money. It's, money's the easiest. It's finding the deal. Finding the deal right now is the hottest thing. There is just too many smart people out there. The brokers have educated owners. Everybody knows what their building is worth. Years ago, nobody knew what their building was worth. You know, Now the brokers put in their uh, offering memorandums, value add. Okay? The last 10 units were leased for... $100 more by putting in uh, $1,000 a unit. So that they're factoring that in your price. So you have to be totally educated at, with, and master the fundamentals so you can find opportunities overlooked by others. Now, you know, I consider myself the master at that. I look at dip buildings differently than everybody. And I have made a lot of money by finding opportunities overlooked by others. That's what we're trying to teach people what to do in Harvard Can't Teach What You Learned From the Streets, the book that uh, I wrote that's coming out. We teach you that. We teach you so many ways to improve property value because when you buy a property, you want to increase property value. It's harder and harder and harder now because the secret has been out for years, and now you have to look at things differently. You know, Is there additional zoning available that I can build on? Is there, um, you know, tenants that uh, we can move around, get more rent, renovate, etc. So you have to look at things with a different set of glasses. Now, speaking of property value, what are the three signs a property is gold? To me, you know, everyone would say location, location, location. That's important, but to me, it's finding a virgin property. A property that's never been touched. Huh. And I have, honestly, we've made fortunes doing that. You can name all the properties we did. Uh, if I see a property 
where you had a, 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 an owner that passed away, but he was he never put money into the property. He never fixed up the property. He never raised the rents. He paid so you know such a low price. He didn't care. Um, he dies, and he gives it to three siblings who live in three different states. They don't talk. They don't like each other. They just want to sell the property. Those are my kind of guys. <laughs> okay, that's where the big value add. So if I can find property that what I call virgin properties, that's what I want to do. Uh, that's the main thing. Another thing is I look at property with um, development potential. We have a property now, a shopping center in Shrub Oak, where when I bought it years ago, I knew that I could add, uh, build 65 to 70 uh, affordable units on. That's to me a value add. So I want to look for property that has the potential for additional construction. And the other thing that I would talk, I would say is a, a gold, is finding a piece of property where the area has a high barrier to entry, like Austin or West Campus in Texas, where there's just no more land. So if I find the last piece that can be developed, to me, those are the gold. That's what I think is the gold. And I think we're going to wrap it up now, Michael. Yep. But I think it's been very good. I think um, we've had a lot of questions with a lot of good answers. So it's the holiday season, and we want to wish everybody a happy, happy New Year. Merry Christmas, and we'll see you soon. And don't forget to go to samlieben.com. We have a lot of interesting things for you to see. Take care. What do you think? I thought it was